we have come to the almost towards the end of the book and uh, we are in chapter 21 where we are discussing about John's vision of the heavenly Jerusalem. That's what we will see in these two chapters, that is chapter 21 and chapter 22. He's talking about a new heaven and a new earth. The very first verse says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I want you to be quite interactive today. Share your thoughts, share your views so that we can learn from one another. Uh, so my last question would be, how many of you believe in a new heaven and a new earth? Uh, you can use the chat box or you can use the uh, symbols that, that, that are there. Uh, oh, good. Only one I see. Uh, how many of you? How many of you believe uh, in a new heaven and a new earth? You can unmute, speak, uh, so that we will know that. Do we really believe in a new heaven and a new earth? Yes. Yes, yes Pastor. Okay. Thank you, Sister. Others. I believe there will be a new heaven and new earth, Pastor. Thank you, Asha. That is. Yes, Pastor. Yeah, that's Sister Gristel. Yes, Pastor. Yeah, thank you, Sister Bajabasadma. Others, because it's very important. Do we believe in a new heaven and a new earth? So it's good for us to know. Yes, I do, Pastor, because the one who has promised is the living and everlasting Father. Oh, thank you, Sister Shirley. Now, uh, if we believe in a new heaven and a new earth, then the next question would be, where will it be? Where will it be? Have you thought about there it? Are... Have you? Go ahead, Sister Carolyn. Pastor, there are three parts to the heaven. Three parts to the heaven. Okay. After the present heaven and the present earth will be replaced by the new heaven and new earth. Okay. Okay, Sister Jerusalem. Yes. Others? 
we don't know any other place past us must be like heaven in heaven and earth on earth like the new one would replace you new uh, just can you repeat it asha what the did you say the new earth would replace the old one the new earth would replace the old one okay new heaven would replace okay what will be here on earth okay thank you um now we are in chapter 21 and 22 and i said that provides a magnificent climax for the last book of the bible uh, in the opening verses of chapter 21 that is the very first verse of uh, chapter 21 which is here the verse 1 uh what what john is doing in this chapter is he gives a short general description of the holy city that's what he's doing in this chapter uh, and uh, the holy city uh, we don't have problem we'll all agree it is the new uh, jerusalem and uh, he will just try to uh, describe this little more in detail not in detail also little more uh in the succeeding verses uh if you say that we have lot of details no we don't have lot of details about the new heaven and the new earth uh but we have some indications a general description of the holy city uh but one thing is very sure he's talking about eternal blessedness of god's people in the new heaven and the new earth that is important uh he is giving us hope he is not writing to us he is writing to those seven churches is there in chapter 2 and 3 who are undergoing persecution who are being killed in the public arena he is giving them hope that uh you will have this eternal blessedness of god's people in the new heaven and the new earth uh, it is very important for us to have hope uh, if we don't have hope uh, why why should we have hope uh, because the hope will shape the way we live right now the hope i have will shape the way i live right now and it is very important when i face problems when i have crises when i have failures when i have disappointments it is that hope which helps me so i have to be very certain about the hope that i have and that's that's what john is emphasizing in this place that there will be a new heaven and a new earth and and he's talking about the blessedness of god's people how they will be blessed because of this new heaven and this new earth uh but john is not telling something new john is only saying something that has already been told in the book of isaiah uh that's why the more we read the old testament new testament and we keep looking back and forth 
we realize this is amazing what God has promised. You know, when you read Genesis 1 to 3 and you read Revelation 21 and 22, you, it's amazing. It's amazing. So John is just basically is talking about the promises that are there in the book of Isaiah because the prophet Isaiah spoke about a new heaven and a new earth. And uh, he said that new heaven and new earth will abide forever. Uh, it will not be like the first earth that will just pass away, but it will abide forever. Uh, in Isaiah 65, 17, the prophet said, see, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. So Isaiah is talking about new heavens and a new earth. Bible is all about fulfillment, fulfillment of things that have been promised. Jesus came to fulfill. Jesus said, do not think I have come to uh, you know, um, destroy the law, uh, but I have come here to fulfill every word that's there in the law. Um, uh, so I will create new heavens and a new earth. And we see in Isaiah 66, 22, as the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me. This will endure. The old heavens and the earth will pass away, but this will endure before me, declares the Lord. So will your name and descendants endure. <clears throat> the, as we have seen in the previous verse, in the previous chapter, the previous earth and the heavens, they just fled from God's presence. That's what we saw in the previous chapter, if you remember. Uh, in the last verse in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, if you remember, then I, uh, this is not the last verse. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, the earth and the heavens fled from his presence. And there was no place for them. Uh, it's talking about the old earth and the heaven just uh, giving way to the new earth and the new heaven. Uh, whether John would have us think of the new heavens and new earth as a transformation of the existing order or whether this present cosmos, the present world, universe will come to an end and a new creation will replace it, uh, it is not quite clear whether, uh, the, but there is going to be some kind of a replacement uh, rather than little, little patchy work. How it's going to happen, we have no idea. But what is clear is, um, the word uh, new, uh, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So the word new uh, used by John does not simply, uh, it does not mean simply another. It does not mean another. It is not something else. Uh, but a new kind of heaven and earth. That's all we can make out from this verse. There'll be a new 
heaven, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, but it is not another heaven and another earth. That's, that's clear from his uh, word. The new creation will have some continuity with creation as of uh, as we know it right now, but yet it will be radically different. Uh, we get a glimpse of it when we as when we look at the resurrected body of Jesus. It just passed through the walls, doors. So we get a glimpse of it, but Jesus ate fish, some continuity, but it is radically different. But we will not be able to fill in the details. If you try to do that, uh, we will go wrong. Now, if you can re you, you can you can listen to all the theologians, whether they are post-millennial millennialist or uh, millennialist or pre-millennialist, all of them agree it is this earth. This earth will be a new earth. All of them agree. So generally all the Bible scholars, they agree it is this earth uh, which, will, which will be the new earth. Uh, but there is something which makes this earth new. And John is emphasizing on that. Uh, the, the old creation will be replaced and a new one will come. But John is saying, he is giving us a very, very clear indication. What is that new thing that will make this radically different? Uh, when we, in the same chapter, when we come to verse 23, Revelation 21-23, he says, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the lamp is its lamp. Now, if you if you're a Bible, if you're a, a theology student, uh, you will read about different faiths. And uh, some of the faiths, they have some concept of afterlife, a new earth. They have those concepts. Uh, but what is different in, in the understanding we have is the hope for the future age of peace ruled by God alone. The new earth and new heaven will be ruled by God alone and God will be in their midst. God will live amongst his people. Uh, that is something distinct and that is distinctively Old Testament Jewish Christian hope that God will come and dwell amongst his people. That's what we have, that's the emphasis John is saying, uh, laying in this place. Obviously, when God comes, this place will become new. So that is the emphasis uh, about the new earth. 
We might not have many details, but one detail is very, very clear that God will make this earth as his dwelling place. And if you can go back to Genesis and you read and what happened in the Garden of Eden, and now God is going to come back and live amongst his people. Any questions you have before we start this chapter? Any questions? In the, pastor, in the first verse, it said, there was no more sea. Uh, we'll be coming to this chapter, sister. We'll just... We'll go verse by verse. Uh, we will see why there is no sea. What does it mean? We'll come to that a little later. Okay, we go to the first verse. The first verse is, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Uh, I've already given the references from the book of Isaiah for you know, predicting the new heaven and new earth. Now, the focus in this chapter, the, it's the new creation, new Jerusalem. That is the focus, and we'll try to understand. Now, why there was no longer any sea? And there was no longer any sea. Why there was no longer any sea? Okay, there could be uh, three uh, reasons uh, for this phrase that there was no longer any sea. Uh, the first reason could be a literal reading of Isaiah 65, 17. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth, which mentions only heavens and earth, but does not mention the sea. So that could be one of the reasons uh, John is saying that a new heaven and a new earth. One of the reasons. The another explanation could be um, sea has always been associated with evil. Uh, if you read the Old Testament carefully, uh, if you read the Leviathan and all those things, it, it, sea is considered to be a, some kind of um, instability, a chaotic condition, uh, if you read the creation account itself in Genesis chapter 1, uh, sea is associated with some kind of restlessness. And that's the reason I said people were very concerned if somebody dies in a sea, what will happen to them? Uh, I talked about the resurrection, what will happen? So that could be another reason. How could something that is troubling be there? So there's no mention of the sea. That could be another reason. Uh, the, and even in other religions, if you read the uh, other accounts, uh, sea is always considered as a turbulent uh, entity, and they had goddess over sea and other things. So sea basically in the ancient world represented some kind of restlessness, 
uh, chaotic disorder. That could be one of the reasons. And the third uh, reason could be that see <clears throat> uh, somewhere denotes that it's hostile against God's people. Because in Revelation 13, 1, we saw that dragon stood on the shore of the sea and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had 10 horns and seven heads with 10 crowns on its horns and he, on each head a blasphemous name. So see, this all could be, if you, if you want to, if you were to ask me which is the right one, I don't know, but these could be reasons why John says there was no longer uh, any sea. Uh, but in the context of uh, drying of the sea, it may also signify an end to the commercial trade. We, we saw how Rome, which was considered to be a commercial capital, people brought things from other nations and how those um, ship captains and all, they were crying, lamenting over the death of Rome, if you remember that. So probably this, there's no longer any sea, there's no need for any more commercial trade because God is going to live amongst his people and God will supply all their needs. Uh, that is the blessedness of the holy city, the new Jerusalem. And he's talking, I said the focus of John is to describe about new Jerusalem in chapter 21. So he just gives an introduction. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. It is interesting. John says this heaven and new earth will come down from heaven. It is interesting. When we go to the next verse, if you are just following it and if you are following all that I've said, you go to the next verse. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I said, this is the earth that will be replaced. And it is sometimes people think we go up, we are not going up, rather heaven is coming down. And this new earth is also coming down out of heaven from God. John is describing that. Um, the, the new heaven, new Jerusalem was a familiar Jewish ex expectation. If he had opportunity to just to have talk with Jewish people in the first century, they were, they even before in the Old Testament, they were always looking forward to this new Jerusalem, new Jerusalem, new Jerusalem. And whenever we talk about Jerusalem, it is not only the place, but also the people who live there. So this new Jerusalem is being presented as a bride. And it is not the place per se. It also means the people who are living in Jerusalem, its residents. Um, they are being represented or presented as a bride to the bridegroom. Now, now, what is the significance of the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God? What is the significance? Is there any significance? I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. 
what is clear is yes yes so new jerusalem is a part of the new heaven which is coming down to the new earth pastor new jerusalem is part of the new heaven or it says it's coming out of heaven from god so it can be only new earth no the new jerusalem coming down out of heaven john's uh, john's uh, emphasis here is uh, it is not man's creation going to come down out of heaven it's going to be beautiful beyond description uh that's why we you know the eternal blessedness of god's people because it's coming down out of heaven now we don't have the details to how this will happen and all that but we know one thing that god this new earth will come down Uh, out of heaven, prepared by God, and you know, prepared as bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Uh, so the preparation, and it is being presented a bridegroom. So Jerusalem is a holy city. The Old Testament people had no problem; they always believed in the holy city. And Jerusalem went by the title of the holy city. i saw the holy city so even if this portion is not there and if you if we were to ask you know was the name of the holy city it is jerusalem so that was not the problem because even in um uh, they had this hope that's one of the reason the pious jews they prayed daily for god to restore jerusalem uh pray for jerusalem there are moments which goes on pray for jerusalem which is there in the book of psalm so holy city is jerusalem because in nehemiah 11:1 now the leaders of the people settled in jerusalem the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of every 10 of them to live in jerusalem the holy city so when we are talking about holy city it is jerusalem we are talking about even in psalm 46:4 which we saw this sunday there is a river whose streams make glad the city of god the city of god is jerusalem the holy place where the most high dwells so when we are talking about jerusalem it is not just a geographical location it is also talking about the residence people in that uh, city uh, because when we uh, when we looked at babylon babylon represented rome and it's not just that place it is also the people who lived there who ruled over that place who did business there the soldiers and it represented all those people now this jerusalem is the uh, this city is the bride uh, so we also have in the new testament the church is the bride Ephesians 5:23 says for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church so the church is the bride uh, his body of which he is the savior 
So he is talking about a new earth. He is talking about God's people. God's people will be there in the new Jerusalem. New Jerusalem is not just confined to that, uh, that little place that we are seeing. Uh, it is just a representation of the holy city where God will come and dwell amongst their midst. So we go to the next verse. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is the focus of uh, Revelation chapter 21, the new Jerusalem. It becomes God's dwelling place. In the new order, God's dwelling place will be among God's people. Now, in the Old Testament, we had seen that tabernacle always symbolized uh, God's dwelling amongst his people. Because in Exodus 25, 8, then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Now, God promised uh, the Israelites that as a covenant, I will dwell amongst you. That, that's being fulfilled uh, completely. What we see in the Old Testament is partial. Here it's going to be completed, consummated. So that covenant was in Leviticus 26, 11 and 12. I'll put my dwelling place among you and I will not abhor you. I'll walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. Now, this God's dwelling place. God is going to come and dwell amongst us. And it's all the more interesting if you see the Greek language, the word that is used. Uh, here we, use, we see it as dwelling. Uh, the Greek word that is used is tabernacle. And outside of Revelation, there is only one place where you find the word in the New Testament where God tabernacled. Uh, where do we find that word? He came and dwelt amongst us. In the New Testament, where do we find this? The uh, transfiguration. A little more. John. John, yes. John where? John 1. Yeah, John, John 1, 14. Uh, Jesus, and you know, in the beginning was the word, and the word was uh, with God, and the word was God. And the word dwelt among, amongst us, tabernacled amongst us. So that Greek word, uh, you know, if you see that, the Greek word is kinu. That Greek word outside of Revelation is found only in John 1, 14. John chapter 1, verse 14. And now you find the very same word here. In his incarnation, he came and dwelt, and now he's going to dwell amongst his people forever and ever. It is, it's quite interesting that God will come and dwell amongst his people. His dwelling will be with his people. And that's what makes the new heaven and new earth, the hope that we have that we will live with God. If we don't have this hope, 
we will not be uh, we'll be leading a miserable life the reason being that it is only this hope that helps us in times of crisis um, you know if you if we don't have this hope our life comes to an end in this world itself it is because we know the life of jesus the son of god who came who dwelt amongst us he died and he rose again that resurrection hope that gives us hope uh as i was on the bed death bed the only verse that gave me hope was i am the resurrection and the life i am the resurrection resurrection is our hope and jesus is the first fruits and uh, those of you who come from an agrarian society you know um, if you are especially coming from a village uh, generally what people do is whenever it's harvest time the best thing the very first fruit they'll go and give it to the church the first fruit it doesn't mean that they will not have anything more that's just a first fruit so jesus resurrection is called as a first fruit so because jesus rose again we who follow him will also rise after our death and we need to have and this hope that is our hope this is not a permanent place for us uh, living with jesus should excite us and we should look forward to it you know that, that's why the psalmist says and i think in psalm 145 was one uh, seek the lord and his strength uh seek his face continually in other words he says seek his presence continually in this world itself we should seek his face continually because that's what's going to be our hope we'll be seeing his face continually after we leave this world in the new heaven and new earth his face we will be looking at his face continually and that's a privilege and that should give us that courage and boldness to live for our god so we go to the next two verses uh 21 4 and 5 he will wipe every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away he who was seated on the throne said i am making everything new then he said write this off down for these words are trustworthy and true see john's emphasis is all about the new jerusalem uh, there is no more death or mourning or cry or pain it is again you go to isaiah you find in 25:8 you will swallow up death forever the sovereign lord will wipe away the tears from all faces he will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth the lord has spoken so that is the fulfillment which will take place in the new heaven and new earth and uh, even in isaiah 65:19 i will rejoice over jerusalem and take delight in my people the sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more we will weep in this world we will cry in this world but this weeping and crying will be heard no more only in this new heaven and new earth uh see john is describing 
this new creation, not to satisfy our curiosity. We are curious. We want to know how it's going to happen, how, you know, what will be the indications. We are curious. But John is not writing to satisfy our curiosity about the future, but to comfort us about the eventual change in the nature of this world, how this world, you know, uh, the philosophers always, uh, they used to ponder how this world will come to an end. And John is also telling how this age will come to an end and a new age will come. That's, that is John's focus. And John is writing and keep this in mind. He is not writing to us. He is writing to people who are undergoing tremendous persecution. Their properties are taken away. They have lost their family members. Anytime they can be killed. They are being killed in public arena and he's writing to them. And these are the verses which gave them hope. He's writing in the time of King Domitian, horrible man who killed people, Christians, left and right. And these verses gave them that hope and they were able to walk into that arena boldly. And it is that boldness, you know, people who were spectators there, they started asking, how come these people can walk like this? What is, what do they have? Here they're being torn by the animals, but how do they have this hope? And that is that eternal hope. I pray that all of us will have that eternal hope, not because we are going to walk into an arena, because without that hope, because I said the way we live in this world um, is, is reflective of our hope. What is our hope? If our hope is only in this world, we'll keep collecting money, more money, more wealth. We want to make more, you know, we want our name to become famous uh, because, the, because our, that's our hope. But if we know our hope is not here in the resurrected Jesus, the way we reorder our life, the way we reorder our desires will be totally different. And that is important. And it is all the more important because in this verse, you say that this is the second time we hear God speaking. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. It is important. It is true. It is trustworthy and true. It could have been just, you know, God could have just mentioned these words are true. But write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Our mind should be gripped with these thoughts. That's the reason Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, since then you have been raised with Christ. You know, without dying, we can never be raised. So we have to die. We have to die in this world. We have to die some, you know, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Paul will say. So unless we, we put our flesh to death, we will not experience the joy of this resurrection. And Paul says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. 
who is seated at the Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He is our hope. He is the first fruit. He is our savior. He has gone ahead of us. We are just following him. We want to see his face. Set your minds on things about, not on earthly things. We need to have this hope. And these first century Christians, they had that hope. Because they had that hope, they were able to face the persecution and they were able to uh, walk. And remember, I am making everything new. Uh, it, is, it is present continuous. I am making everything new. It is not that I will make new. I am making everything new. God is constantly renewing us. He is making new right now. He is making, God is continually making things new here and now. How? How do you think God is making things new? So much is happening around us. How do you think that God is making everything new? Because it says, I am making everything new. So what's meant by I am making everything new? How do we understand this? He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. How do we see God working now in this world, in this life? Is God working? Or we have to just wait. You know, we can experience this working in our heart. I am making everything new. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The more we allow God's word, God's spirit to work in our heart, God is transforming us. God is changing our nature. If we are a Christian and we don't see any change, whether I'm a pastor, an evangelist, or prophet, anyone, anyone, the followers of Christ, they don't see any change in their heart, then God is not in their lives. God is constantly working in our life. And that's, that's why Matthew said, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. The more you, we allow God to work, there we see, oh my goodness, so much of darkness within me. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. We, it is not, okay, there is, yes, outside this, you know, the world has to be changed, but the change has to start from inside of us and inside, we should experience that change. And the question is, am I experiencing that change? Power over sin, power over sinful habits, power over greed, power over lust. Am I honoring God? There are two places we can measure whether God is working in us or not. One is the way we honor God. The other one is the way we treat people. And uh, 
the Colossians 3.5, it says, therefore, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Uh, we will understand that when we don't dishonor God and when we don't demean people. If, if these two categories, if we can follow, if we can evaluate, we will know that God is working in our lives. Uh, God is constantly working. He is not just lying down and taking some rest, waiting for his time to come. No, not at all. He's constant. I am making everything new. He's working 24-7. That's the reason Jesus, uh, no, God said, you know, God is our refuge and help and ever-present help in trouble. 24-7, he is with us. But we need to experience this hope of resurrection, of afterlife with Jesus. You know, it, it draws us closer to him. We cannot be close to cross and say that nothing is happening in my life. Then, then it is only a philosophy. Then it's not that God is truly a living being. So that's, if you, if you see 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 to 18, therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. We should be renewed. This should be Christian. This is authentic Christian experience. This doesn't happen just by going to church, doing religious activities, no, it doesn't happen. It, is, it happens when we allow the gospel to penetrate the inner core of our being and we allow that, allowing God to change us. And then we are saying, you know, Paul says, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. That's what John says, I, you know, God said, I am making everything new. And this renewal is something we need to um, experience in our life. And then we know, oh my goodness, the more we allow God to work, then we realize, oh my goodness, I never knew that there is something like this in my heart. I thought I'm much better. No, I'm not better. I realize that. So the closer we get to holiness, we see our unholiness. So that's, that's why it says, I'm making everything new. Not only I'm making everything new, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I pray and it should be our everyone's prayer that I want to be renewed. Yes, there is a new heaven and new earth. I don't have to wait for the new heaven and new earth. I want to experience that renewal right here in this world. That should be our prayer. So we go to the next verse, Revelation 21.6. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The thirsty, I'll give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Uh, it is done. You know, we all remember it is done. You know, just, you know, we had just had that Good Friday service. A similar statement made by Jesus. Uh, it is not the same word, of course, but it is almost similar that we see in the Gospel of John. Uh, chapter 19, 20, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. But it is not the word tetelestai that you see here. It's a different word. But the meaning is somewhat similar that, you know, Jesus has the power 
to bring this old earth to an end. The old age is going to come to an end, a new age. The new age has dawned, but it will be consummated. Uh, the old age will come to an end. It is done. It is done. This history will come to an end. Uh, you know, God created this world with a purpose, with a, with a plan. That's what we find in Ephesians 1.10, to, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. At the second coming of Christ, this new heaven, new earth, when it comes into existence, then everything will be unified. It comes. There's perfect unity, so there is peace. It is because of the sin that happened in the Garden of Eden. Everything is fractured. Our relationship with God is fractured. Our relationship with other people, uh, it is fractured. Our, our relationship within us is fractured. You know, everything is fractured. So everything will come to a perfect unity when this new heaven and new earth will come. And he says, it is done because I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I have power. I have power. And so I will bring this world to an end and I'll bring a new order to this world. And he says to the thirsty, I'll give water. Uh, we know John chapter 4, when Jesus you know, went to the, saw that Samaritan woman, he said, you know, if you had asked, if you had known that who is asking for water, you would have asked because I have the living water. And the same thing, it's a salvation. God is inviting people, come drink, drink from me. I will give water without cost because I have come. I love you. That's the message to the uh, humankind. Come and drink water from me. Uh, because in Revelation 7, 17, we saw for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. Uh, you know, from the spring, from the spring of the water of life. And it will be without cost. Again, when we Go to Isaiah 55, 1. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. This salvation is a free gift. It's, you know, it is always uh, presented in a beautiful way as a spring and a river. You know, go here you find the word spring of the water of life. When we come to the next chapter, the angel will show John the river of the water of life. Here it is spring. In chapter 22, we'll find river. So salvation is presented as a beautiful symbol. In other words, the salvation is free. It's for everyone. You don't have to go to hell. You don't have to go to that eternal damnation. It is available to everyone. That's the message in this book. And then we go to the next verse. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I'll be their God and they'll be my children. God has called Israel as his children. In the Old Testament, there are several references where Israel has been called as his, uh, his child and it is considered as a covenant community. God said, I'll share all my blessings with you uh, 
you know, we say in Zechariah 8:2, the seed will grow well, the wine will yield its fruit, the ground will produce its crop, and the heavens will drop their dew. I will give all these things as an inheritance to the remnant of this people. My people, I will give all these things. But here, in the Old Testament, there is no such qualification. But in Revelation, it says, those who are victorious will inherit all this. So how do you understand this? Those who are victorious will inherit all this. In the Old Testament, the entire community, but when we come to the book of Revelation, it is very clear, it is not just you suffered for Christ, you should become, you should be victorious. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. Uh, even when we read those letters to the churches, uh, you stand, you, you persevere, you endure, you stay, uh, stay put. And if you overcome, I'll give you the crown of life. And that's the language, those who are victorious, will uh, inherit all this. In the context of Revelation, at least there are two, three places where it says that uh, if you don't compromise with the world's values, you will be a victor. Don't compromise with the world's values. The world will keep offering different things, but don't compromise. Uh, then uh, in the, it's there in chapter two, verses 14 and 20. And then it says, you know, dependence on our own strength too often, uh, especially in 21st century, we think we have, we can. Uh, so this dependence on our own strength, we are not considered as victorious. You know, in, if you read Revelation chapter 3, 17, just because you're rich, don't, don't think that. You can run your life on your own. Uh, dependence on God. Is, it's, it's crucial, crucial. Uh, when we depend on the worldly sources, there's no difference between God's people and the worldly people. If we think our security is in money, in position, in, uh, in our designation, in our property, in our family, in a, that kind of dependence is not at all appreciated in the Bible. As God's children, we depend on God every every breath. We depend on God, and that's how we praise Him. We worship Him. We worship Him because I can speak today. I worship Him. There's some voice coming out of my mouth. I worship Him. I have hands. I move my hands. I can see. I can write. I can read. I worship Him. I depend on Him. So dependence on our own strength. They are not victors. Those who compromise with worldly, worldly world values, dependence on our own strength, and those who cannot withstand persecution. The victors are those in the book of Revelation, those who don't compromise with the world's values, those who don't depend on their own strength, and those who endure persecution. They are considered as victors. Uh, so in the Old Testament, it says, I'll be their God and they will be my people. Do you find any difference between the Old Testament covenant formula and this one here? 
Is there any difference? I'll be their God and they'll be my children. This is there in the Old Testament also. Is there a difference? In the Old Testament, God had declared Israel as his children, but here in the end time, he publicly honors individual believers as his own children. It is not a community as such. It is individual believers who overcome the world, who are victorious. Uh, they will be honored. And that is the meaning I'll be their God and they'll be my children to those who are victorious. It is not just because we have a, I have a Christian name, Abraham, no. I need to be victorious. I need to overcome this world. I need to stand for God. I need to go through the suffering. I need to overcome. And then I'll be their God and they will be my children. I think um, the last one, uh, we will take it up in the, in the next week. It's already 8.30. Okay. We will see this verse uh, next time. Uh, any questions you have? Pastor, uh, we need to be victorious over persecution and you also mentioned not to compromise with the world standards. Yes. So there is so much of suffering that we also have to endure. That's what uh, you were mentioning. But why the sickness is... Uh, something that believers have to go through. I don't seem to find any answer for that. Uh, you mean to say that... Uh, Sickness. Uh, yeah, because, you're a, because I'm a Christian, I should not fall sick. Is that your expectation? Or yes. I, yeah, I'm a Christian, so I should not have cancer. I'm a Christian, I should not have COVID-19. Uh, Something similar to that. I know we live in a fallen world. Okay. There is uh, suffering, so everyone suffers with uh, it. But still, that question many times lingers in my mind. Why suffering? Yeah. It is, why do you only take sickness? I think that's the most uh, difficult thing and very common why I mean, the Israelites, uh, like how they were protected in, uh, from all the plagues. God says that none of the sicknesses that came upon the Egyptians will come upon you. You know, there are so, such promises which uh, we read in the Bible. So those sufferings, uh, when you look at it, it becomes uh, difficult to explain. So we, I just kind of accept it as, okay, God has a plan and a purpose. He allows and gives the strength. But still, this question lingers, why sickness? He's conquered. Yes. Why did Jesus, uh, why uh, Jesus had to raise up Lazarus? 
why he had to heal the, uh, those who are suffering from leprosy. Uh, Jesus said in uh, Elijah's time, there were many people who were afflicted, uh, but only Naaman was healed. So from where do we get this understanding that uh, there'll be no suffering for Christians because uh, we are the followers of Jesus. He suffered for us. And if we follow him, we will suffer. So sickness is, uh, there are many reasons why we suffer from sickness. This, you know, the very body physiological uh, structure and the, you know, if the water is contaminated, food is contaminated, uh, the fish is contaminated. And if we eat all that, it doesn't suit our body and we fall sick. So to say that because you have become, we should not have this, um, I don't think so. I don't think so. Because if you are going to, uh, the, the promise that God gives us is, it's not that we will not have sickness. In, in our sickness, in the midst of our sickness, God will be with us. So till we start you know, desiring this God, the glory of God, the excellency of this God, uh, you know, since I had, uh, I've just been, I'm, <laughs> I'm still going through the treatment for cancer, so I can share my thing that, um, why cancer? I never asked God why cancer. But reflecting back, I can say that God has been with me. And I can say that all things work for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Uh, has something good come out of this? Definitely. Definitely. My very relationship with God has become stronger. But was it nice? It's not at all nice. You know, cancer is one sickness you will not even desire for your worst enemy. It is painful. It is miserable. But it, there's, no, there's no guarantee that nowhere in the Bible says you are a Christian, so you will not suffer. Nowhere. We, you, we have to um, accept this fact that we are living in a fallen world. You are talking about sickness. I'm talking about uh, physically challenged children. Mm. Why? Mm. And if you have met those parents, godly parents, they'll say that we have been blessed. Was it a challenge? It was a challenge. If we start asking why, 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 we'll never get an answer. But if we, if you know, God knows what He's doing. Mm. So suffering. The only difference between our faith and other faiths is in no other faith, you will find that God walking with you mm. in suffering. Here, God, an ever-present help in trouble. How do you know God is alive? God is living. So we, we, if we, if I have to say that we have answers for all the problems, no, I don't have answers why people suffer, why bad things happen to good people, it's happening. Yeah. So we are living in a world like that, but uh, we are not here to find answers to those questions. 
But what, what I would suggest is knowing this God more and more, knowing him, knowing him, living for him. And that itself is a blessing. If God is just nudging us a little bit to know him, I think that's the greatest blessing. Just to know this God and having hope. Without hope, we all will perish. We need to have some hope. And this is, this, we have a hope in, an, in a God who created the heavens and the earth, in a God who dwells in us. Emmanuel, God with us. And that's our hope. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, yeah, Sharon, uh, when we go through uh, struggles, um, I can speak to you as a person who has gone through struggles. So you must have also had some painful experiences, maybe in your family or your close friends or something. That, But if you're going to ask the question, why, 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 we will not get the answer. But if you are going to ask the question, where is God in the midst of all this, you will find him. He is very close to you. That's true, Pastor. That is, I've experienced that. You have said it right. Thank you. Anyone wants to add to the problem of suffering? Problem of suffering is a question that's addressed to all the faiths. And the reasonable answer comes only from a Christian faith. No other faith uh, can give a reasonable answer. Do we have, because we don't have the answer why, since the Bible doesn't speak, um, it doesn't give us the reasons why people suffer. Uh, there are various reasons why people could suffer. One could be sin. Uh, one could be uh, just a physiological disorders, emotional health, spiritual warfare, we do suffer. Uh, so there are various reasons why we suffer, but we cannot pinpoint exactly. Pastor, I have experienced, I don't want to bring that topic, but more the challenges, better we fare, better we come more closer to Christ. That is what I have been experiencing all these years and especially after the death of my husband. I never liked to live alone. But he, he has again given me the strength. He said, I have put you alone. So challenges are needed in Christian life to go higher. This is my experience. Thank you, Sister Carolyn, for sharing that. Yes, it's true. Uh, uh, when we understand God is sovereign, and when we understand that um, nothing happens in our lives uh, without his allowing, without yes. his knowledge, and when we understand that, uh, is there pain in all in this death? Yes, there is pain. But remember, it is because of the resurrection. Um, death is also, death also cannot threaten us. Death, death cannot 
cripple us. It can trouble us for a while, but it cannot cripple us. Uh, death is also a shadow because of, uh, you know, Jesus rose again from the death. Oh, death, where is your string? sting? So we can say that uh, because death is the last enemy. And that's the reason why, uh, you know, in Revelation, we just read, there'll be no more tear, no more crying. That's death. Because when people die, it's painful. And people were dying in those churches. And then he's giving that hope. Okay, thank you for sharing your thoughts. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Glorious Father, we have hope in you, O God. I am the resurrection and the life. O God, teach us to experience your presence in this world. O God, I pray that our soul, our mind, our body will desire you more and more. We, we pray that you will bless each one of us. Give us this grace to seek your face, O Lord, continually in all that we do. Thank you for the testimonies we heard, O Lord, that you are a God who never forgets us, nor forsakes us. You are always by our side. And even when we go through the darkest valley, you are there. And that gives us the courage and hope. We pray, Lord, our hope in you will only increase and it will become stronger. Bless each and everyone who has taken part in this Bible study. We pray your word will grow and flourish within us and around us and let your name be exalted in and through all this. Bless each one of us with good health, with your protection, with your provision, and with your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, unfailing love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit remain with each one of us now and forevermore. Amen.